Good morning. I, um, I just want you to know I really appreciate you all being here today. Um, historically, this is the lowest attended Sunday of the year for our church because of Roxbury beginning and a number of families going to Roxbury, which is our, our, our church camp, and a number of families spend vacation there, and it's the height of vacation. So I just want you to know that you are the best Christians in this church <laughs> and that um, much better than those half backslidden people on the beach somewhere. So you can be, you can be proud of yourselves. Anyway, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and I'm going to talk today about witnessing. I thought this summer, while attendance was down, I'd preach on the favorite topics that people love to hear, mainly witnessing and giving. So here we go. Matthew 6.1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done how? In secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In this passage, Jesus is telling us what not to do in witnessing. He taught that there are certain things God wants to be done in His presence and in His presence alone. Jesus says, when you give, give in secret, give privately. Do not make a show of it down at the church. When you pray, go into your inner room and shut the door and pray to the Father in secret. Do not make a public display of your ability to pray. Don't act like the Pharisees who parade their religiosity and moral superiority for all to see. Why not do these things in public? Because Jesus pointed out, the only person who needs to hear you pray is God. The only person who needs to see you give is the Father in heaven. It ought to be His opinion and His opinion alone that counts in these matters. Who cares what anybody else thinks? Jesus is saying here something profound. He's saying that the last thing He wants from His followers is for us to go around acting religious. Because the truth is, is that people who act religious turn off non-believers as much as they turn off God. Let's take the, the prayer thing first. I remember one time, I went to a, and, and some of you have heard this story, but it, it, it's been a long time since I shared it, but I, I remember one time I went with a group of pastors to a Chinese restaurant. And as we gathered, there were about eight of us. And as we gathered around the table and the food was being brought, this pastor said, one pastor said, let's all hold hands. That made me nervous right there. 
I don't like holding hands with other pastors in restaurants. And then this guy began to pray. And did he wail? And he was as loud as you could be, oh, Lord, we just want to thank you for your blessings, Lord. And as he got louder and louder, the restaurant got quieter and quieter. And soon there were 50 people in the restaurant, and I felt every eye on the back of my head. And then he started praying for everybody in the restaurant to get saved. Oh, Jesus, save all these people here. Don't, you know, and, and, you know, I... I the only voice after a while in that restaurant was just this guy. And I, it, actually, it helped spur my praying. I prayed that God would, would kill him. <laughs> and uh, he was too good for this world. He needed to be taken out of here. <laughs> we all felt so embarrassed. And I think this guy was doing exactly what Jesus said, don't do. Don't make a show of your religion. Don't go out there and act all religious in a way that turns off non-believers. You know, the, 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 often and when we go around acting all religious, we, we, we think we're being a witness, but we're just making unbelievers very uncomfortable most of the time. And often th they think we're weird. And, 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 and then, you know, they act, react to us in a negative way. And, and then some believers go, oh, we're being persecuted for righteousness sake. No, no, you're being persecuted because you're weird. Folks, when it comes to witnessing, we have to put ourselves in a non-believer's shoes. It's not enough to have good motives or feel good about some of the things we think are such a good witness. We have to ask the question, what do non-believers think when we, they see these things? How does the world interpret what we're doing? Do they understand what we're doing? I mean, you know, I don't know if you realize, but we even have our own language. We evangelical Christians have our own subculture, our own language, our own behavioral patterns, our own symbols. And we have to realize that our culture is very strange to outsiders. Communication with the man and woman on the street becomes almost impossible at times. Without realizing it, we use words and symbols that are correct and biblical but are understood only among Christians. At an evangelistic dorm meeting on a college campus, a non-Christian asked, what does it mean to be a Christian? Praise the Lord, they asked that. But then a Christian student who really wanted to help lead this person to Christ replied, it means you must be washed in the blood of the Lamb. The student went pale. The Christians in that room continued to talk. They said, yeah, you need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb so you can be redeemed and sanctified. The person's jaw dropped open. Another student seeking to help this Christian brother said, and the fellowship is so neat. Praise the Lord, you really get into the Word and get such a blessing. By the time all this conversation was over, this non-believer thought they had landed on Mars. How would anybody... But an insider understand and not be grossed out by being told they must be washed in lamb's blood. 
These are, now don't get me wrong, these are great biblical truths. I believe in redemption. I believe in sanctification. I believe in being washed by the blood of the Lamb. Praise the Lord. But you don't spring that on somebody the first thing. They don't know what it means. Our goal is not to confuse, hopelessly confuse, someone seeking Jesus Christ. Amen? Which leads us back to the original question. If you don't act all religious or talk all religious, how do we get people interested in God? How do we create questions about God and our faith? And I think the first step is the most important one. Before we spend time talking to people about God, I think we need to spend time talking to God about people. Because the only way to care for the lost is to stay close to the heart of the one who died for the lost. Start evangelism with prayer. Ask Christ to put people in your life on your heart. Vivian Clayton was a typical Christian. She cared about evangelism in a general way, but she did little about it like most of us. But God began to speak to Vivian. The Spirit began to touch her. And she began to pray for the five houses on either side of her house and the ten houses across the street from her. Vivian knew very little about her neighbors, except that there had been a crime spree of burglaries recently. However, once Vivian began to pray, and she'd been praying for some weeks consistently, she noticed that the neighborhood became safer for some reason. And she noticed that people began to smile more and be friendlier for some reason. She noticed that the atmosphere of the neighborhood was changing for some reason. Wanting to truly impact the lives of those living around her, Vivian decided to try to find out her neighbors' names. Do you know your neighbors' names? First she asked one resident, but they didn't know either. And then she tried to use a realtor's cross index, but he refused to share it. Vivian felt then directed to go door to door to introduce herself as a, their neighbor. And while she was doing it, she just said, look, I, I want to be a good neighbor to you. I'm Vivian, if I can help in any way. And oh, by the way, it would be a privilege for me if at any time you wanted me to pray for you about something, I would be glad to pray for you about something. By the way, this is the one thing you can do with secular people without turning them off to your religion. I have never heard anybody go, you want to pray for me? How offensive. <laughs> that is not what happens. Anyway, she, she started praying. And, and as the weeks went on, she relates, she said, I can't tell you how wonderful it was. Without exception, every house received me and eventually everybody gave me lists to pray for. One woman asked, after some time, what day did you start praying for me? And when Vivian told her, she said, that's the day my depression lifted from me after months and months. Another woman referring to her mother's last day, her mother was dying of cancer, and she said to her husband, we went through the most difficult time we've ever had together, and yet there was so much healing and peace. There was something different here. I wonder if Vivian was praying. Prayer makes the difference. 
Because the Holy Spirit, when it comes to evangelism, please get this. You're not the evangelist. The Holy Spirit is the evangelist. He is the one, uh, the only one who can soften the human heart. He is the only one who can convince someone of their lostness. He is only, the only one who can make Christ real to a hungry soul. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can transform a life. That's why prayer is the critical element in evangelism, because the Holy Spirit is the best, most effective evangelist in the universe. He is the one that draws all people to Jesus Christ. He is the one that convicts of sin. That's his job. Our job is not to save anyone. Our job is to point to him. And the one who does the saving is the Spirit. The second thing in terms of evangelism is this. Friendship is the second greatest key to evangelism in the vast majority of cases. People, get this now, this is profound. People will listen to us if they like us and trust us. We live in a society that is becoming more and more resistant to sales pitches for anything from strangers. Have you noticed that? Whether it's a phone, doesn't it irritate you when the phone rings and it's a telemarketer? Doesn't it bother you when somebody knocks on your door and they're trying to sell? Does that bother you? Let me ask you, how do you feel when a stranger knocks on your door to engage you in a conversation with which you have no idea who this person is or where the conversation's going? I live in a neighborhood that about once a month, the Jehovah's Witnesses come through the neighborhood knocking on doors. I dread it. I dread it. Most of the time, I peek out around the curtain if it's a Saturday morning, just, you know, and then I hide like a little girl. But sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget and I open the door. And I've gotten, I, you have to, Jesus forgive me, I've gotten to be mean. And they'll start talking and I'll go, yes, I know the end of the world is coming. You've, been, you've predicted it 800 other times. And yes, I know I'm not one of the 144,000, but neither are you, buddy. Go away. Because listen to me. I know I'm going to heaven. I am the pa- I'm a pastor you're dealing with, and I pastor, I pastor the First Baptist Church just down the street. I said I need forgiveness. I people don't trust strangers, so it just makes sense. That in order to create an interest in God, what's the first step? Stop being strangers. We become friends. Bring people who don't know Christ into your life. Now, I need to address the other side of this coin. We've been trained to see evangelism as an event, not a lifestyle. Evangelism is seen as going door to door. Or, or bringing in a special speaker, or setting up a tent, or, or, or passing out tracts and witnessing on a street corner, or preaching on the boardwalk at the beach. And most of us, if we're honest, are resistant to doing those things because we know it makes people uncomfortable, and it makes us uncomfortable that they're being made uncomfortable. My simple exhortation is this. Don't do evangelism first. Do prayer first. And then don't do evangelism second, do friendship second. 
Don't create a lot of special events for friendship. Just invite people into the normal flow of your life. You eat. I have news for you. Non-believers eat too. You can invite them into your life. You play golf or basketball or tiddlywinks. Play tiddlywinks with them. You go to movies. Invite a lonely person to join you who doesn't know the Lord. Don't create a new or artificial event in your life. Invite people into the flow of your life. I love what Joseph Aldridge writes. He says, frequently the unsaved are viewed as enemies rather than victims of the enemy. Spirituality is viewed as a separation from the unsaved. The new Christian is told that he or she has nothing in common with his or her unsaved friends. Aldrich says, quite frankly, I have a lot in common with my unsaved friends. A mortgage, car payments, kids who misbehave, a lawn to mow, a car to wash, a less than perfect marriage, a few too many pounds around my waist an interest in sports teams and suffering like with the Eagles, hobbies and other activities. He says, it is well to remember that Jesus was called what? A friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. Remember, he was the one that dropped in and said, Zacchaeus, let's do dinner. He was the one that showed up at parties with everybody, including tax collectors. He was the one that held, was friends with people on the wrong side of the tracks. Jesus was a friend of sinners. We as believers are to be building bridges like Christ did. He did not reject the caress of a prostitute when she anointed his feet. He touched unclean lepers. He scandalized the religious community by mixing with the riffraff. That is what we're supposed to do, isn't it? Aren't we supposed to act like Jesus? And by the way, Jesus didn't have any fancy program for doing evangelism. Have you, did you notice? He had no one, just one kind or standard approach to witnessing. What I see when I look at Jesus is that he started wherever people were. When he was with a centurion soldier, he spoke in military language and how the military operates. When he was with fishermen, he talked about how to catch fish and actually help them catch a couple of boatloads worth. When he was with farmers, he talked about sowing seed and harvesting. You see, and Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, you will be made fishers of men. Now let me tell you how to catch fish. He offered bait that actually attracted unbelievers. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's often amazing to me that we offer bait that attracts us but doesn't attract the fish. I don't care how many turnips you put on a hook, you're not going to catch fish. You may love turnips. You may eat turnips every day. But it doesn't matter if you like turnips. What matters is if the fish like turnips. Do you understand? I love cheese. I'm not putting a five-pound block of cheese and lowering it in the water hoping to catch a fish. You use bait that attracts fish. That is what Jesus did. And while we're fishing, 
Guess what the main bait will be? You know, I want to take a... No, I don't answer. I, I don't have time for you. Anyway. <laughs> the main bait. The main bait at the end of your hook is you. It's you. Rebecca Manley Pippard had one new convert tell her about her journey to becoming a Christian. And she said, you know what affected me the most, Becky? All my life I used to think, how arrogant for someone to call themselves a Christian to think they're that good. But then she said, Becky, I got to know you. And Becky, you are hardly perfect. Yet you call yourself a Christian. So my first shock was to discover you blow it like I do, Becky. But she said the biggest shock was that unlike every other Christian she'd known, she said, you admitted it. And she said, I, you admitted things I couldn't admit. And suddenly I saw that being a Christian didn't mean never failing, but admitting when you failed. And she said, your admission of weakness drove me, drew me to Jesus Christ. Pipper said, that confession changed my life. What astonished me was that she had seen me in all kinds of circumstances. She had seen the real me and had given the gospel more power, not less. I'd always thought I should cover my doubts and problems because if someone knew them, they wouldn't become a Christian. But the more open and transparent I was, especially with my weaknesses, even in my weaknesses, what I discovered is the more real Jesus became to people. The paradox I constantly experience is that as I allow people inside to see who I am, the pain, the problems, as well as the successes, when I let people see me as I really am, they tell me they see Jesus. And when I cover up and pretend to be better than they, I am, they tell me all they see is Becky. Christ is glorified not by acting religious, but in our humanity. Because most of us fear that who we are inside just isn't good enough. So we cover up. But to not accept our humanness means we lose our only point of authentic contact with a broken, weak, sinful world. Our humanity, our weaknesses, our problems, our pain is what the world relates to. The very thing that helps us be good bait often is what we put in the bait box and shut. The church is not a place for perfect people. The only perfect people in this church are on the staff. I think I've just proven my imperfection by lying, so okay. Besides that, as soon as you find a perfect church and join it, it ain't perfect anymore. How's that? Our goal in spreading the gospel is not to convince people how religious we are. Because teaching people how religious we are is just another way of telling them how perfect we are. You know what we should be convincing people of? We should be teaching and modeling that Christ comes to us in the midst of our problems, not because we're problem-free. That he gives forgiveness for sins, not covering them up. That he gives hope for despair, and yes, sometimes Christians despair. That he loves despite our imperfections. By the way, Pastor Cedric just advertised Celebrate Recovery. This is why Celebrate Recovery works. 
It is one vulnerable, broken person sharing with another vulnerable, broken person, and you get to see a fr- have a front row seat of Jesus working in their lives. Because when people see our weaknesses, they can see how his strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. When they see our brokenness, they can see how his grace is more than sufficient. And then, after you've prayed and after you've loved and after you've been vulnerable, at this point the scripture tells us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. And here, by the way, is not where you need a Ph.D., here is why, where you do not need to be a theologian. Here is why, where you don't even, I don't think, spring out the four spiritual laws or whatever. You know what the best verbal witness is about Jesus Christ for every person in here? It is your story. What Christ has meant to you, what Christ has done for you and in you. Brennan Manning, by the way. I love the story. He tells the story of a recent convert to Jesus who was approached by an unbelieving skeptical friend. And the unbelieving skeptical friend said, So, you've been converted to Christ. Yes, said the man. Then you must know a great deal about him. Tell me, what country was Jesus born in? I don't know, said the new convert. What was his age when he died? I don't know. How many sermons or what was the most famous sermon he preached? I don't know. You certainly know very little for a man who claims to be converted to Christ. You are right, said the new convert. I am ashamed at how little I know about him. But this much I know. Three years ago, I was an alcoholic. I was in debt. My family was falling to pieces. My children dreaded the sight of me, but now I have been clean for three years, and we are out of debt, and our marriage is healed, and my children eagerly await my return home each evening. All this Christ has done for me. This is how much I know Jesus Christ. Maybe the alcoholic didn't know much theology but he sure was an expert on his encounter with Jesus Christ. Remember the blind man that Jesus healed? He'd been blind all his life. And the Pharisees, after Jesus had left, the Pharisees descended on him. They said, who was this Jesus? Who did this? Where is Jesus on him? And and remember what the blind man said? He says, "I I don't know who Jesus is. And I don't know where he's gone. But here's what I know. I know that Jesus took my eyes and healed them. I know that for the first time in my life, I know what people talk about when they talk about colors. And I know what for the first time in my life, what it's like to look at a blue sky. And I know what it's like to look into the face of my parents who raised me, who I'd never seen their face before. And I know what the beauty of a flower looks like. Here's what I know. There was a man named Jesus who came by, and I was blind, but now I see. That's all you have to be an expert on, brothers and sisters. That's all you have to be an expert on. Tell your story. Discipleship, we'll work on that. Deep theology comes later. It's our stories that touch hearts, and anyone here can do it. Anybody here can do it. I was uh, talking to somebody 
this morning. It, this is how, I love how the Holy Spirit moves. And, uh, you know, I told the story about Vivian Clayton and, the, you know, praying for her neighbors and all of that. A person who attends this church walked up to me at the end of the service and said, I just invited nine of my closest neighbors to come to my house on August the 24th so I can get to know my neighbors and ask them if I can pray for them. <laughs> and she said, this was such a confirmation. This is such a confirmation. The Spirit cares. You know, I have to make a confession. Here's my confession. Years ago, someone came to me, and they didn't like my theology, which is okay. I allow for people to be wrong. And, uh, and so I, I, um, they said, you, I, they didn't believe in hell. They didn't believe Jesus was the only way. That, you know. And they said, you, you, you believe in heaven and hell, and you believe Jesus is the only way. And he said, he said to me, if you really believe that, what is the real difference that makes in your life? And I felt convicted. I felt convicted. I believe this, but is this, do I really see people perishing like Jesus sees people perishing? Do I really love like Jesus loves? Do I really care like Jesus cares? And I felt convicted. This is what we're up against. Brothers and sisters, Jesus came to save the world, and he passed the mission on to us. We are to join him in saving the world, nothing less, nothing less. We talk about our theology, and we think simply because we think we're biblical and we got it right, that's enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. Are we living like people are perishing? And our prayers and our love and our vulnerability and our witness will make a difference. Are we living like that? Or are we casually watching people we love go to hell and we're going, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be? I pray we accept the urgency that Jesus had. I'd like the worship team to come forward. And I want to also say, I can't preach on evangelism. If somebody is here that doesn't know the Lord, please call me or say something on the back on your way out or, or come up to the front while we open the altar for prayer. Please do not walk away from the greatest person in the universe who loves you more than you can imagine. Please do not let that happen either. There is no greater tragedy than that. And so I'd like the intercessors to come forward. I'd like you to stand. I'd like the worship team to lead us again in worship. And while we're here, while we're here, would you pray, if you're not doing anything else, would you let the Spirit bring one person to your mind this morning? in your life that you love and would you begin the process of praying for them to know Christ and then keep on
I feel, I feel the spirit here. Do you feel the spirit moving? I, praise the Lord. I think, I think the spirit wants us to do something about this. Let the spirit pray through you. Let the spirit, invite the spirit to burden you with what burdens him. With a people that you know and love. Or maybe you don't even love them. You work with them. Or they're, they're, you're, they're the nutty next door neighbor. But let the spirit pray through you. And then follow him in witness, step by step, okay? Lord Jesus, bless us as we leave this place. Lord, help us to pray to you. Help us to not knock down walls on our own. You tear down the walls by your power. Give us timing. Give us a sense of opportunity. Help us lead us every step of the way. And Lord, help your kingdom come, your will be done, your kingdom to grow. In Jesus' name, bless us as we leave this place and go about your mission of nothing less than saving the world. Amen.